The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Honey, I'm home. Hi, sweetie pie. How are you? Great, but it might be better if we weren't having pineapple for dinner. Well, we wouldn't have to have pineapple for dinner if you'd gone grocery shopping last night. I meant to thank you for leaving all that hair in the bottom of the tub. I can't wait for you not to take the trash out again for the fifth day in a row. I can't wait to miss the game tonight because you want to watch The Notebook for the 15th time. And thank you so much for leaving the toilet seat up this morning so I fell in. Honey, have I told you that my favorite song to listen to is you nagging me after work? Thank you so much for inviting your mother over tomorrow night without even telling me. You know, honey, I love you conditionally. Oh, I love you conditionally too. Funny, not funny, a little too close to home. You know, the thing about uh, falling in love uh, which is really trendy, right? Like we use expressions like, oh, they're falling, you know, we fell in love or falling in love. And the challenge is that we don't really stop and think about what that means. And so many times we've seen people who fall in love and then they do the same thing, they fall out of love. And, it, and if you actually pay attention, it sounds as bad as it ends. And usually it ends the same way it begins, the similar feelings. I mean, think about it, right? Somebody falls in love, they can't eat, they can't sleep, and they can't stop thinking about the person. And then when it ends, they can't eat, they can't sleep, they can't stop thinking about how much they hate that person. And uh, it begins, you know, their heart's kind of turned inside out, their stomach's upside down, and then it ends with their heart inside out and their stomach upside down and suffering and pain. And, and you know, if you fall in love, no matter what, it'll probably cost you everything. If it doesn't work out, it costs you a lot, right? It costs you a lot of pain. And if it works out, It'd probably cost you everything. In fact, if you're falling in love leads to marriage, uh, they say marriage, there's nothing like it. If it's good, there's nothing like it. And if it's bad, there's nothing like it. And um, so, you know, we, as a church, as pastors, we will sit down with couples that want to get married. If they want us to do the wedding ceremony, uh, we have kind of a process, a premarital counseling process that we require couples to go through because we want to coach them through the journey. And uh, one of the questions I always ask couples is, so why do you want to get married? Pretty good question, right? Kind of like, it's okay, what's, what's kind of pushing you in this direction? And so, you know, it kind of gets some, you know, it's kind of teed up for you. Kind of can't mess that question up. But let me just give you a little insight into uh, what we hear. And so we thought we would capture it in some memes. And so, you know, most of the comments we get usually lean somewhere in this direction of like, you know, you're the cheese to my macaroni. And the kind of the general idea is you, you make me whole, you complete me, you're my other half, you're my better half. Some of you, I look at you and you're like, no, they're your worst half. Um, but, but then, you know, some of them, they really, they're super explicit and it's so romantic and it's so touching. But, you know, here's a meme that kind of captures this. When I'm with you, I am complete. I am happy. I am loved. I am me. You know what I, I hear? I am codependent. <laughs> Means I, I am unhappy. I am unloved. I am incomplete without you. I am unhealthy. 
And then um, maybe even as they start talking about falling in love, you're just, your heart already is inside out and turned upside down and you're feeling the pain of the past or your, the anger of betrayal or rejection. And so you, you kind of relate more to this guy. This kind of, this meme kind of captures the summary of your love life. You're the guy in blue. You see that guy all the way back there? Yeah. And you get sick and tired of seeing couples posting their lovely little memes on Facebook and telling you how much fun they had on their most recent date or how awesome their love life is, whatever. You're just sick and tired of it. And so we're gonna talk a little bit about falling in love and a little bit about, Pastor Corey talked about dating. So, you know, first he, he did a little song, right? First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. And so in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the whole baby carriage thing about parenting. And next week, we're going to talk about how you make babies uh, and not just babies, but you know, how kind of what you should be enjoying in marriage. And so by the way, heads up, quick, um, quick uh, warning to you. Next week is going to be a little bit of a PG-13 sermon. I don't do a lot of those, but uh, I thought it would be important that, hey, if the if the world around you is telling you what trending sexuality looks like, maybe we should talk about that right here. And so often I think we avoid topics like this. And so I want you to know that if it's in the Bible, we're going to talk about it. If it is impacting our life, we're going to talk about it. Now, I want to talk about it in an honoring, discreet way. But even in order to do that, I still got to be candid with you. And so I'm just giving you a heads up. It's going to be, you know, kind of a PG-13 message, uh, which you're all kind of wondering, what does that mean and look like? Well, come find out. But I would also suggest it's a great week to maybe put your kids in children's ministry. Um, you know, like that might be a good time to think, am I ready to have, I promise you, the way I'm going to talk about it, it is going to force the conversation. If your kids are in here, they're going to go home asking some questions, all right? So that's just a warning. But, but before we get there, let's talk about Love, romance, marriage. And, and so, you, you know, here's the thing. Statistically speaking, the average couple is going to be engaged for 16 months. And they're going to spend 7 to 12 of those months planning and preparing for their wedding and their reception. And the average couple is going to invite and have about 175 guests. Now, you might invite 220, but 175 of them are going to show up. Your wedding party is going to be on average about 12 people, and it will cost you $22,000. Now, some of you are like, wait, what? My wedding and reception costs like 500 bucks. I got gypped. And you want, it, you want another wedding reception. Hey, you guys work that out at home. Maybe, maybe apply the principles I'm going to give you in a few minutes, and then you guys can work that out. Uh, he, here's the thing we've noticed, though. You know what that means? That means for many couples, they're, pay, they're still paying off their wedding reception after their divorce. Think about it. And maybe I can give you a little hint as to why. And, and I want to say this just right at this point in the message. This message is not coming out from a place of judgment or being condemning or accused at all. From a, a sincere place of, I just wanted to have a candid conversation about real things that impact our lives. And let me give you a little bit of idea of why though. Because I think couples spend a lot more time planning their wedding and investing into their wedding reception than they do planning and investing into their marriage. And so here's the deal, right? Marriage is harder than it looks, and a great marriage is much harder than it looks. And so if you're a couple right now and you find yourself arguing a lot, maybe you're arguing about parents or parenting or how much time you spend together or how you're not very good at communicating, you might actually be, in fact, married. 
just give you a little bit of a connection that maybe your expectations are that you're gonna get into marriage and this was just gonna be like a bed of roses and a walk in the park and you're discovering this is harder than it looks and you think everyone else has got it figured out and you're the only one that is a mess. Well, good, then we can have a real conversation about this. Now I wanna bring you back to a biblical context, meaning let's bring the Bible into this and some of you, you're like, well, how could the Bible be relevant? Well, let me just say this, marriage is kind of God's idea and he has a little bit to say about it. And so we're going to jump into a a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was starting churches across Asia and Europe. Here is a guy who went to the city of Corinth and started a church. Might not be a big deal to you, but it matters a lot if you were back in that time. In a time where the city of Corinth was known for the temple to Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of sexual fulfillment, and the way they would worship her is with a city based, a city's, a city's economy based on sex trafficking. That's right. The whole worship of Aphrodite was based around prostitution and sexual exploitation. Now imagine an entire economy based on the sex industry and think about how that would affect an entire city's understanding and the culture's understanding of love of relationships, of marriage. And so the Apostle Paul comes and he starts to invite people to know Jesus. And they come in and they they start to build what becomes a church in the city. The challenge is they bring all of their pain and all of their lifestyle with them and they have a hard time knowing how to integrate their faith with their lifestyle. And so after the Apostle Paul moves on to start other churches, he writes letters to them. Those letters eventually become part of the Bible and they're known as 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the first and second letter of Paul to the church in Corinth. And in his first letter to the church of Corinth, it kind of reaches its pinnacle in 1st Corinthians chapter 13, where the apostle Paul is teaching them about what it means to love in the way of God. What does godly love look like? And so let's just read this, and then we're gonna see how can we apply this to our lives, and specifically to love, romance, and marriage. 1 Corinthians 13, verse five through seven reads, it, love, does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So the Apostle Paul, he's not writing about marriage but he's writing about the kind of love that certainly would make for a great marriage. But it's also the kind of love that all of us need to live if we're gonna live rightly the love of God. And so we can take his teaching about love and we can apply it to our lives, to romance, to relationships, and then specifically we can apply it to marriage. Now, before I dive into this teaching, let me give a little quick disclaimer, because this is necessary, because there's a lot of confusion about marriage in our culture, in politics, and in law, and so I just wanna speak to this really quick, and some of you are like, "Uh uh-oh, here he goes. What is is he gonna say? All right, here. So, uh, uh, just disclaimer is that marriage was God's idea, Everything we know and think about marriage comes from the Judeo-Christian teachings as anchored in the Bible. All right, here's what happened. Over many years, 
nations, legal systems borrowed from the Judeo-Christian concepts written in the Bible and codified those into laws. But then laws are written by and rewritten by politicians. And so the moment that we start arguing about politics, we start arguing about the way laws are written, we start arguing about our understanding of marriage. And so now marriage can be defined and redefined because it's all about laws and politics. So today, here's my disclaimer, I am not talking politics and I'm not talking laws. I'm trying to bring you back further than all of that and say, now let's just focus on what we understand marriage to mean by God's word. Now, how that informs your understanding of laws and politics, that's for you to apply, okay? But right now, I am not talking politics. I'm not talking laws. I am saying all of that was borrowed from our understanding. And if they change the way they understand that, that's up to them. We have a responsibility to make sure that are we in a line with what God is saying about marriage from his word. Is that fair? Was that a fair disclaimer? You guys, you guys okay, with, okay with me? So don't go sending me hate mail. Don't go making mean comments to me on social media. I literally would just ignore it anyway because I gave you a disclaimer, all right? So I'm trying to help you and here is my goal. I believe there are people who want to live their lives according to God's word. And I believe that God's word provides the best way to live your life. And, and so I just wanna provide you good teaching on how to take God's word, apply it to your life, and live out the best life you can possibly live in alignment with God, what God is doing in and through you. So with that said, I'm gonna give you one statement, a principle that you can apply to your life regarding love, romance, and marriage, and it's simply this. It's not about you. Love isn't about you. Romance isn't about you. Marriage is not about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you can get out of it. It's not about you fulfilling your sexual desires or your preferences. Love isn't about you getting what you want out of someone else. Marriage is not about you feeling good. It's actually not about you being the cheese to someone else's macaroni. It's not about you being completed by someone. It's not about you being happy or truly loved. Marriage isn't about you. And you wanna know why marriage is hard? Because most people approach marriage the opposite of what the Apostle Paul wrote. They do it this way. They dishonor each other. They approach marriage self-seeking. They're easily angered and they keep a long record of offenses and wrongs. And as a result, that part that says love always protects simply becomes a broken promise and people drag with them the pain of past hurtful memories. And I would imagine many of you, if not most of you, are hearing this message and you're carrying more pain, hurt, and regret than you are hope and promise for the future. For those of you that love for you and the idea of marriage for you is just full of promise and hope, I don't wanna burst your bubble. And I'm gonna talk about how you can get set up for a great godly marriage. But for those of you that your story is more pain than not, let me encourage you, you're not alone. It's not just marriage that's hard, it's love that is impossible. Why is it impossible? Not because there's that group of people that we all wanna politically pick on and say they're wrong. No, 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 check it out, we're all wrong. We're all broken. It's not some group of people that are easy political pawns to point out. All of us are messed up. None of us get this love thing right. Why? Because from the very beginning of your life, you and I were born 
separated from relationship with God because of sin. This thing called sin is a spiritual sickness that has separated us from God. That was a lot of S's. Let me, let me make sure you didn't miss it. Um, sin is this brokenness inside of every one of us spiritually that separates us from God and as a result drives us toward selfishness. Sin breaks our desires corrupts our core instincts, causing us to believe that what we want is actually good for us, when in reality, sin's desires will actually destroy us. Not you, not you, all of us. And so we're all born living our lives headed toward destruction, but not just destruction, toward eternal judgment. That's the bad news. The good news is I'm not preaching a sermon to tell you bad news. There's good news. And that is that God refused to leave us on this crash course toward eternal judgment. So he intervened in our lives. How? He became one of us. God entered into our world. Jesus Christ steps into time and space, into his creation for the express purpose of taking on our spiritual brokenness, taking on our sin judgment, the shame, the guilt, the betrayal, the rejection that we carry, all of the hurt and pain that is piled up in our lives. He came to take it on himself so that when Jesus Jesus died, he died for you. He died for your pain from the past. He died for your hurts, the way others have hurt you, the way you've hurt others and you carry shame and guilt because of it. He gave his life as the payment for your sin debt. And he died in your place, absorbing your eternal death sentence so that when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven and you're given a new beginning. He draws a line in the sand, separating your past from your present. You are a new person, you are changed. How are you changed? Because when you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit enters into your spirit. Check this out. Where your spirit, which was previously broken and dead because of sin, is given new life. God's spirit gives your spirit new life, true life, and eternal life. When God's spirit is in you, he changes how you love. And that's what Paul's writing about. He's writing to a group of people within a city that is corrupted by love. And he's saying, look, your love should look different. How should it look different? He concludes the passage with this statement, this paragraph. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That word always is a big deal. Right, like that's a big word. And what he means is this, he's, what he's talking about is not, we use the word love to mean a lot of things. We make love, talk about that next week. Um, we fall in love, right, that's romance and all the emotion that comes with that. We, we should be loving, we love God and we love pasta, right? But in the, when, when Paul is writing, he's talking about a a specific kind of love. In the Greek, he uses the word agape or agapeo is to love like this. Now, you don't, you don't care about the Greek, so let me, let me jump back a little bit. The word, the word best to describe this would be the word covenant. Now, we don't use that word a lot, so let me explain. Covenant love is a relationship based on a vow sealed in blood. Now, if you're creeped out a little bit, don't get up and leave. Don't click off on the online campus. Stay with me for just a moment. Covenant love is God's idea of how love should work. It means this. One party makes a vow to the other one. I give you my life forever, for as long as I live, no matter what you ever do or don't do for me. Now, that's not a relationship. The relationship begins when the other person says, yeah, me too. 
I'll do the same thing. And the point is that Jesus came to give you that covenant love. He said, I love you and I give myself to you, no matter what you ever do or don't do for me, forever. And when you say, yes, I receive that love, here's what you're saying, God, I love you, and I give myself fully to you forever, no matter what you do or don't do ever again for me. Your love was enough. And some of you, you're going into your relationship with God conditionally. God, if you answer this prayer, and if you make me feel better, and if you fix this, if you do that, then I will. But that's not a covenant. A covenant means God loved you no matter what. And your response back is, God, no matter what, I love you too. Now, apply that to your relationships. Once you receive covenant love, you give covenant love because what fills, spills. The love of God overflows, it flows in and then it overflows. So, now how do we apply this to our lives and to our relationships? Well, I wanna give you a couple really practical steps. I'm gonna move kinda quick, all right? So buckle up, get out a pen and paper, pull out your smartphone and type this in. I want you to keep up because I wanna apply this to your lives and our lives. By the way, in case you know, I'm married, and I'm scared to death to preach this sermon. Because I, I know Laura heard this message. And then like, she's going to hold me accountable to it. So I'm like, oh man, I'd have rather avoided this. Because then I, you know, right? But we got to talk about real things and how to live this out in a real way. So here we go. What's the first practical principle I can give you? It's this. Marriage reflects God's love story. Remember I said marriage isn't about you? Romance isn't about you? Well, then what's it about? It's about God. Oh, right. So, okay. You're like, how? In what way? Okay. Most of us approach marriage like a contract. If you do this, I will do that so long as you keep doing this. And if you don't, the contract ends. Why do you think it requires a vow to get it started? Here's the vow. Something to this effect. Do you promise to, to take this person to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, forsaking all others as long as you both shall live. If you do, please respond by saying, I do. Why do you think it requires that? Because it requires a vow to seal a covenant love. A, a kind of like till death parts us commitment. Now, before you go wallowing in your own pain because things didn't work out for you, that's not what I'm talking about. Right? Let's, let's point back to God here. The point is your marriage points people to Jesus. Here's why, here's what I mean. This is gonna, hopefully for some of you, this is like an aha moment. Your marriage is not about you. It's about God's love story, not your love story. Why? Because God created marriage to be a living metaphor of his story. Everybody that sees your marriage, when you look at a married couple, you should think of the way God loves you. Husbands, you're responsible to be the metaphor of Jesus. You give your life for your wife. Don't reverse it. Don't give your wife for your life. We got to make sure we get it in the right order. And so we are responsible to love in a sacrificial, generous way. So when others see us and the way we love our spouse, they see through us to Jesus. Imagine that. Men, that you're responsible to point people to Jesus in the way you love your spouse. Wives, you know what you're responsible to do? To love and respect and honor your husband in such a way that when people see the way you love your husband, they see the way they should love Jesus. Come on, you gotta admit, that's a little bit like, the point is this, 
Your marriage isn't about your story, but about God's love story. You should be showing the covenant love of God through your story. So it's not about the really cute little things you can post on Facebook. And sometimes I, get, I feel like I have to on Valentine's Day, like express my undying love for my wife on Valentine's Day on Facebook, because otherwise I'm gonna look like a bad husband. And what I really wanna do is tell people how much we love Jesus. Because that's the whole point, right? Like on our anniversary, uh, in a couple months, we're going to be celebrating 19 years together. I know some of you are like, wait, what? Thank you. Really, I, I know most of you, you're clapping saying, wow, go Laura. She put up with Patrick for 19 years. Um, and five kids later, and we still passionately love each other. Um, but you know what I've, I've discovered is that for Laura and I, our marriage is not really about us. It's how well does our story reveal God's love story. That's it right there. Go ahead, I can close right now, but let me give you a couple more practical pieces because you might be thinking, okay, how do I get there? Um, so the next thing would be this. Let's, let's go back to this passage. Let's read it. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And so let me unpack that passage right there and make this a little bit more practical and applicable for you. The simple point is this, not only does marriage reflect the love story of God, it also reflects God's love. So if I'm going to show God's love story, then I have to love in the way God loves. You with me so far? So how do you do that? Well, the Apostle Paul gives you the way God loves and the way we love in the way of God. Now, this is not just for married couples, right? Every one of us should be able to go, yeah, I should love anyone and everyone this way, but it does apply very real or, or very practically in marriage. So in what way? So let's just walk through this here. I gave you a couple, I think I gave you like four or five points, or, or he did. It does not dishonor others. So let's apply that. Uh, the word there also translates, love is not rude. Now some of you, we, I could literally just stop right there and you could like elbow your spouse and be like, see what I'm saying? <laughs> like this could transform our marriage if you just stop being rude. And, and what you're thinking is like, love doesn't burp when you're out on a date. Right? Like, love doesn't wear camo on every day. Like, <laughs> that all, the great thing is, like, that only makes sense in, in, like, our area, right? Like, those of you that are joining us from around the world, this is a, we're, we, we wear camo a lot. <laughs> okay. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, I've just totally, my mind went blank. So what is, what is the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying it's not just about being like obnoxious. Here, here's what he means when he's saying love is not rude. He, he's actually talking about the gray area stuff. Like, is it right or wrong to put the toilet paper on out or in? Now, believe it or not, I'm gonna solve, I'm gonna change your life. Do you know that the guy who invented toilet paper in his drawings put it on the outside? <laughs> Who's an outside? You want to raise your hand? Thank you. Those are, raise your hand. Here's why: because he didn't want the toilet paper to touch the wall, right? Because that's nasty. Who knows? Ooh. And, and so, okay. But the point is this: it's totally a gray area thing, right? Like it's not right or wrong or good or bad. Here's the point: when Paul is saying love does not dishonor or is not rude, he's saying love considers the preferences of others as more weighty than your own preferences. Their likes and dislikes matter when you're in covenant love. He's saying, when you covenant love someone, you give great weight to the little likes and dislikes of the other person. So when you have to make a decision, you get into a battle of out-preferring each other. 
Not, I want my way, but how can I yield to your way? And then he says, it is not self-seeking. So it takes the next step. I'm not looking out for my interests, but the interests of others. In marriage, am I serving my own desires or the desires of the other person? Am I looking to be served or to serve? Am I looking to be heard or to listen? Am I looking for what I get out of this or what I can give to it? It's not self-seeking. And then he continues and he says this. It keeps... Uh, it is not easily angered, and the, the translation there, uh, and I'm saying translation, for those of you that don't know, the Bible was not originally written in English. It was written in um, Hebrew and Greek, and so when you translate words, sometimes it means something just a little bit closer, and it's hard to get it exact, right? And so when he says it is not easily angered, the, inter the translation there is something a little bit closer to this. Uh, it is not irritable or quickly exasperated. It doesn't throw in the towel and start saying, I want a divorce. It, it actually is willing to put up with when your spouse does not prefer you. And it puts up with it for a long time. It's long suffering. And so maybe for you, it's getting to the point where you're not easily angered. You're not quick to slam the door and say, I'm done. You need to go back and be willing to work things out longer and harder. And then finally, he says, keeps no record of wrongs. This is a, an accounting term back in ancient times to mean that an accountant would keep a list of all the bills owed, uh, payables. He's saying, love does not keep a list of payables. You did this and you said that and you wronged me here. And you, some of you, you can remember back five, 10, 15, 30 years and you continue to hold that debt against them. Love forgives the debt. Love waives the right to hold wrongs against someone. You have a short memory of how someone has hurt you. Again, this applies to every relationship, but especially in a marriage. And then I wanna give you one more, and hopefully this is very practical for you. We're gonna go back to the very beginning where it was God's idea to start marriage. Genesis chapter one, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. You know what the point is? Marriage reflects the image of God. It doesn't just reflect God's love story. It doesn't just reflect God's love. It actually reflects the image of God. What does God look like? Well, when God started, when, when God began this relationship of man and woman, what he did was he took some of himself and put it in a man, some of himself and put it into a woman. And when they come together, they are the best reflection of the image of God. I thought some of you would like that better. All right, so here, here's the deal, right? Here's what I want you to catch. God isn't a man. God isn't a woman. The best way to understand who God is, is a marriage. It's the best possible metaphor of the nature and the image of God. And so your marriage should reflect the image of God. Imagine your mirror reflecting you the way your marriage reflects God. Some of you, you would never be able to get ready in the morning. It wouldn't work. You would be frustrated. It wouldn't, because if your marriage isn't reflecting accurately the image of God and your mirror didn't accurately reflect you, there'd be a lot of problems getting ready, right? Now imagine when people look at you, do they understand better the image of God? They should. How? Well, when you understand that your responsibility is to, it's not about you, but to reflect the image of God, then each of you then can understand your responsibility in marriage. Husbands, Love your wives. That's not because I'm so creative and I came up with that line. I borrowed it from Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, where the apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And he said, 
Husbands, love your wives. See how creative I am? It's pretty clever, right? Um, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. See, so your, your role is defined by Jesus. Jesus loved the church and gave himself, and so husbands, love your wives. What does it mean to love your wife? It means to create a blanket of security by providing, protecting, and persevering. Husbands, does your wife feel safe in your relationship? Do you love her by creating a sense of deep security? How? Because you provide. Why? Because you make more money than she does? No. Because you carry the burden of earning. You feel the burden of making sure bills are paid. You don't put that burden on her. She doesn't have to restrain you from spending things on what you want. You, you're guiding the family in the right financial direction. You're carrying the burden of financial priorities and financial values. Second, look at protecting. Does that mean that you get, you're willing to jump in front of her to take the bullet and take the hit? That sounds very heroic, but let's be more heroic by saying I'm gonna leverage my strength to cover the weaknesses of my spouse. That's what it means always protects. It means that I understand that God has uniquely given me as a man some strengths, emotional strengths some physical strengths, not to bully or to use anger to get my way, to make my wife cower and submit, but to leverage my strengths to cover and guard and shield her so that she is safe in our relationship. I use my strength to protect her dignity and her honor. Could you imagine that? Imagine husbands here did that. And then finally persevering, does my wife feel safe in my faithfulness? I'm not going anywhere. No matter what she does, she can count on my faithfulness. My kids can count on my faithfulness. I'm gonna be a faithful husband and a faithful dad. And I'm gonna be faithful to God. I'm gonna be a spiritual leader in my home. That doesn't mean I pray fancier or better or worse than my wife. It just means that I'm not gonna back down on God. I'm gonna be a spiritual leader in my home because I'm not going anywhere. God knows I'm committed to him and I'm gonna lead my family in commitment to him. And now let's flip it around. Let's talk to wives for a moment. I'm always a little more careful on this one. I feel like I can talk to guys like, hey, let's man up. Um, cowboy up here, put on your camo. No, okay. Um, wives, respect your husbands. And the apostle Paul is writing in Ephesians 5.33, says, wife, the wife must respect her husband. And it's interesting how he shifts husbands, love your wives, wives, respect your husbands. Because I think they, women kind of, they can often relate this idea of love to like a more touchy feeling than me. He's saying, respect your husbands. Follow their leadership in honor and love. Build them up, affirm them, speak life rather than death. Support them, cheer them on. Be their biggest friend and biggest fan. Love and respect them the way we love and respect Jesus. All right, now let me bring this in for a landing. So what do we do with this? This message is not only for married couples, it's for any one of us. Do we love rightly? And before you start thinking about how you're gonna love others, let me just challenge you. Are you enjoying the covenant love of God? God wants right now for you to be in that covenant relationship with him. He says, I give you myself completely. No matter what you ever do or don't do for me, God's saying, I love you forever. And then all you have to do is just say, yeah, me too, God. I want that. And I'm going to, I'm going to give my life to you. And if that's where you're at, you take that step of just saying, yeah, me too, God. I receive your love and I'm going to let your spirit into my spirit to make me new. And so I'm going to invite you to respond real quick. Would you stand with me? Just all over this place. I want you to stand. If you're online, maybe you just stand up. If you can stand up, would you stand up by your computer wherever you're watching? 
And uh, if you're making that decision to receive Jesus in covenant love, then we celebrate that step. Look, marriage love doesn't work outside of being filled with God's love so that what fills spills. If you're married, I want you to take the hand of your spouse. If you're dating, you're engaged, you can take a hand of your spouse. It's okay, We're gonna, I'm gonna pray over you guys. Now, if you're not holding somebody's hand, don't feel bad. You, you already are part of the love story of God. You don't have to feel inadequate. You don't have to feel incomplete. God loves you and God knows you. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for that covenant love for those right now that are saying yes to you. God, we celebrate that. We, we're so grateful for that kind of love that would, that would come and, and cleanse us and forgive us and make us new. We receive and we say, God, yes, me too. I love you. And now, God, I pray blessing over marriages, over couples that are headed toward marriage, over young people that want to get married. God, I pray that you would guard their hearts and that they would live in such a way and they would love in such a way that their life would reflect your covenant love. Lord, I pray blessing over our married couples here. God, that their marriage would reflect your love story, your love, and your image. That they would, that when people see the way they love, they would see Jesus. They would want a love from God because of watching a married couple that is part of Lifehouse Church, that is part of our online campus. Lord, I pray blessing, protection, covering over married couples. Would you guard them from hurt? Would you heal pain? Would you strengthen their homes and their marriages? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.